0: In this talk today, I would like to cover some ways that we can live this coronavirus pandemic quarantine that many people in the world are being uh, asked to live. This is definitely not easy, and it's not easy to process at many levels whether it's at the spiritual level or the human level or simply being mentally prepared to manage expectations as to what may happen or what may not happen and of course with everything that has already happened and uh, watching all the news we can give in into a mentality of fear and that's what we want to avoid at all costs. So, in the first place, let us unite ourselves with one another and all of us together with God. St. Maria talked about all of us being a strand in a big cable. And if you've ever looked at a cable, like one of those big cables in bridges that hold up a lot of weight, every single one of those is made up of many, many, many little cables. And each of us is responsible for doing our part in actually turning around the pandemic so that it becomes something manageable. And so the first point here in this talk is to be united with each other and especially with God, obviously. But I think God wants us to be united to civil authorities and ecclesiastical authorities. This is this is imperative. Otherwise, uh, we cannot, you know, turn around. And one of the things here is a lot of people enter into crisis when 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 we have all been asked to stay home, and we have all been asked to curtail our work. Many people are losing a lot of money. Many people are are um, you know out of a job. maybe they they don't have enough cash right now to make ends meet and they still have to put food on the table. We first of all, we unite ourselves in prayer today with all those people, and maybe we're one of them, and it, it may be that that a lot of people may have to live off of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a long time. This is something that, is, is very difficult, but, you know, let us unite ourselves in prayer to all of them. Um, and not only, but we should also, um, I guess, try to prepare mentally for this. And I know everyone feels the need or entitled, everyone feels entitled to, an, to a lot of explanations and, and, and we are all curious to understand why we are being asked to do all these things that in large part seem exaggerated to us, you know, and that, that's a normal feeling. But here I would like to exhort all of, all of us really collectively that we don't have the time nor the expertise to investigate what is really going on that maybe if we want to investigate what's going on, we can do that. We can go online, we can read the newspapers, we can do the research. But that we should not condition our obedience to civil authorities and ecclesiastical authorities based on our own research and only after we have understood what is going on. That there is no time, really, to do any investigations um in order to obey we have to simply trust and that's that's hard that's hard for us in our age when you know we we live in an age of knowledge and an age of immediate knowledge and we want to know we want to understand at some point we simply have to trust that the experts are asking us to do the right thing and it's either going to work uh, or not, but if it does work, it's because all of us are trying to do the right thing and the same thing. We're on the same page with all these authorities. So in this time of confusion, I think it is imperative that, yes, we embrace the loss. You know, We, we are losing money. We are losing our, our jobs. We're losing all sorts of things. And to not try to be the exception, you know, because somehow we think, well, the coronavirus is, is hitting a lot of people out there, but not me. And I am kind of exempt from it. Actually, not true. You know, it's you just look at Italy, look at Spain, look at other countries, Iran and China, uh, among others. It really it, it, it really expands at an incredible rate that we cannot control and each of us has to do his or her part. So embracing the loss is also gaining the opportunity, you know, and this is uh, what I want to cover in this talk. What should we do in order to prepare in uh, staying home for a long time? First and foremost, I would like to say that charity is what should rule our thoughts and our actions. Maybe we have to stay home and we have to stay home with a lot of people in our family or with neighbors. We have to share a building, share an elevator, share a bathroom, share you know a bedroom with siblings or with um, other family members. Uh, we have family members of all ages. This is a very difficult thing. And we're in close quarters. Maybe the first week we can You know, kind of take it in stride. But I'll have to say the honeymoon is going to be over soon, very soon. And that's where Christians actually come to life or should come to life. That's where we should actually shine out like torches in the darkness. In other words, we have to be ready to yield. We have to be ready to create an environment of peace, an environment of joy an environment of charity, an environment where we respect one another in spite of the fact that our nerves are broken down. I would like to propose to you the example of St. Josemaria when he was under very similar circumstances. And actually, probably more stringent circumstances during the Civil War in Spain in the 1930s, when he had to hide, because, as as we all know, that was a war in which, if one was a priest or or even a Christian publicly, uh, if they even had a scapular, they would risk their lives with the communist regime that had taken over certain parts of Spain. And Saint Josemaria. Went into hiding with several of his spiritual children for months, months, in a consulate that belonged to Honduras, and so they were inside this little um, bedroom—not bedroom, but room—which really all day long, you know, several people were there, and they—they they had to live order and and live charity. And let me give you some some excerpt from the biographies of St. Josemaria so you get an idea of what he suffered through. Here's the biographer, Vasquez de Prada, who says, His exile was cruel and prolonged. He suffered great hunger. Illness in the sanatorium had reduced him to skin and bones. He had previously been in a sanatorium, hiding as a crazy man, um, you know, who who was um, mentally ill. And, of course, he had to get out of there for whatever reason, and so he went into the Honduran consulate. But that experience reduced him to skin and bones. But he, Sam Maria, took up his new crosses without abandoning his old mortifications. His penance was aimed at making the lives of those around him more bearable. He sought to console the afflicted to avoid creating problems with those he lived with, to do small services for the refugees. He tried not to speak about the war or about himself. He suffered the hunger without complaint. He kept his curiosity in check. He smiled and cultivated good humor, transmitting to everyone serenity and joy, being courteous, punctual, and orderly, offering up to God the privations and annoyances. Now, of course... The biographer gets all this information from the witnesses that were there, and what what do they say? Well, one of the one of Saint Josemaria's spiritual sons, whose name was Eduardo, he writes in his diary: "Sometimes we thought, if only this could last forever. Had we ever known anything better than the light and warmth of that little room?" As absurd as it was in those circumstances, that was our reaction. And from our way of seeing things, it made perfect sense. It brought us peace and happiness day after day. Now, this is the most preposterous comment that one can make, being in a room with several people for months, without being able to leave even for a walk, you know. And... And this is the environment St. Josemaria created, but what people don't know, and what people actually discovered after he died, is that St. Maria was going through a very, very, very rough time. And we discovered that when we read his his own diary. And for instance, let me just read a couple of passages. May 8th, 1937, St. Maria writes, to himself. The worst days of this period are those I am spending in Honduras. And this is a pun because Honduras means the depths also in Spanish. I think that rarely have I suffered as I do now. Sunday, May 9th, 1937. I've suffered terribly this night. Thank goodness I was able to unburden myself at 1.30 or 2 in the morning by speaking with the religious order priest in our refuge. I have asked many times, with many tears, to be allowed to die soon in God's grace. It's cowardice. I think this immense suffering is simply the result of my self-offering as a victim to the merciful love. Let me die, I prayed, because from heaven I will be able to help, whereas here below I am an obstacle and I fear for my salvation. On the other hand, I realize that Jesus wants me to live suffering and work. It's all the same. His will be done. And he says another point that he's like an open wound. You know, St. Josemaria was going through his dark night of the soul. But he somehow made it such that people on the outside would not be able to tell. Because of the way he overcame his tendency to worry. His facial expression. His, you know the charity with which he dealt with these young people that he was with, and so on. There were so many moments of tension that he dissipated with good humor, with a sense of humor. And that's exactly, I think, one of those things that we all can ask for today from our Lord. Lord, give us a sense of humor that we too may be able to make out of a very difficult situation of confinement in very small quarters, a a kind of a little piece of heaven, you know. But how are we going to do that? Well, first we have to ask for charity. First for charity. Charity is a gift from God, and we can live it anywhere. Maximilian Kolbe lived it in the concentration camp, you know, or all sorts of people, St. Therese in her convent, which was very kind of uh, small and confining, actually, and... Um, All sorts of saints have lived in prisons. All sorts of people have lived in situations that are less than optimal, we could say, for living a virtuous life. And yet, we may be confined, but the Word of God is not chained, as St. Paul says, right? We may be imprisoned, but the Word of God is not imprisoned. And the charity of God, the love of God, can can even go through locked doors. You remember the apostles that were all fearful and scared in the upper room for fear of the Jews who had just killed Jesus and they thought that they were going to kill them. Our Lord comes right through. And the first words that he says are, Peace be with you, right after the resurrection, if you recall. We need to live charity and the love of God by praying for it. That's what we can do in this forced confinement, let's say. So I suggest that, you know, first thing in the morning, we pray. And then maybe we can have a family, you know, once we clean up and make our beds and and tidy up a little bit of the house, That that we have or you have a family meeting and say, this is what we're going to do today. This is the plan. This is the schedule. You know, saint Amir always had a schedule. He was a man of deep order, external and internal. In external, in the in the activities that one does throughout the day, but internally also in what comes first, what gets priority is, you know, his mass, his prayer, his his chores, what is he going to do for others? And then things that he had to get to, you know, or things that he had to do for himself, and so on and so forth. But that order, you know, Jesus, others, you. And if you notice, that spells joy. You know, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. That will bring a lot of peace to people. And so, um, Today we can manage expectations. Manage expectations. Think of the worst, prepare for the worst, as they say, and hope for the best. But if the worst comes, we're prepared. It doesn't matter. We're prepared. Once we have a time of prayer, and I, I would even say, now that we have more time, a time for Mass. And you might say, well, well there is no Mass in my in my city. There is no Mass. All Masses are cancelled. Well. We still have the internet. Thank God we have a lot of technology today. We can unite ourselves to so many masses that are being streamed live. And if you can't get to them live, well, get to them recorded. And if you can't get to them recorded because you don't have the technology or the abil- ability to watch them, pray. Pray with the mass. Pray with the mass parts that you know are in the missile. Or, or simply open up the Bible and read it. Maybe even you can even read the whole Bible in this. I don't know how long this is going to last, but this is the moment. This is your chance. You've been waiting for the, the one moment to read the Bible. Well, this is it, you know? You can read one book a day almost or whatever, one book a week with your family explaining those things, you know, that, that um, they may not understand about difficult passages or whatever. You can read it together and have like a little Bible study, you know? Whatever you want to do, pray the rosary. You know, even dress up for for streamed mass. You know, or put in the big screen or something, and um, and and make it a big deal, especially on Sunday. I would say, you know, we still have to keep the Sabbath day holy. You know, in a special way, uh, the third commandment doesn't stop just because masses stop. And so, you know, especially on Sunday and holy days of obligation, you know, to think. First of God, and then uh, and then of the others, and then of myself. Not complaining about things that we absolutely need. We may not have um, necessities, you know. That we, that, you know, the, the the things that are necessary. Toiletries may run out. You know, right now there's a, um, I saw a meme of people playing cards like poker. Instead of chips, they had toilet paper rolls, you know I hate the descent of these um, banal levels, but I think these are the these are the valuable things these days that and probably um, uh, hand sanitizer, you know I mean hand sanitizer is worth more than gold today. so or at least it seems that way. And um, you know this is this is how we can live these difficult moments, you know. Another thing we can do is, um, what St. Maria did, is live, m- do many acts of contrition. So, if you can't go to Mass and you can't receive communion, you can do a spiritual communion. If you can't go to confession, because you can't find the priest, you can make acts of contrition. So, let's go over that a little bit, because a lot of people get nervous with with not being able to go to confession and getting rid of their sins, you know. And, well, we have to know that when we cannot go to confession, again, grace abounds. And when we are not able to uh, get to a priest, what we can do is make a perfect act of contrition. Now, let's review that doctrine for a second. What is a perfect act of contrition? A perfect act of contrition is... An act of contrition, whereby I am sorry for my sins with a purpose of amendment. Again, just like when I go to confession, I don't want to sin again. But the reason why I'm sorry for my sins has to be for a for the love of God, not simply out of fear of hell or fear of of um, you know, or, or some other natural reason, let's say. So, the reason has to be supernatural and positive for the love of God. Um, and then also, it must contain, if it's going to be a perfect act of contrition, a desire to actually go to confession and confess my mortal sins in number and kind, and also my venial sins, as soon as I can, uh, as soon as I can actually see a priest and go to confession. So, if that resolution is not there, then it's not a perfect act of contrition. Yeah. That would be imperfect contrition, which, which, um, which is still a gift from God, but it does not um, bring about the forgiveness of sins. Now, you might say, wow, this is, a, this is an extraordinary thing. Well, I don't say it. This is said in the Code of Canon Law point 916, if you want to look it up. It also is explained in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in point 1452, and I'll read it right now. When it arises from a love by which God is loved above all else, contrition is called perfect, contrition of charity, such contrition remits venial sins. It also obtains forgiveness of mortal sins if it includes the firm resolution to have recourse to sacramental confession as soon as possible. So there it is. That is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It also is explained really well in the Council of Trent, Session 14, Chapter 4, which is a paragraph on contrition, and I think think you have enough homework there to look up those sources so that you don't get scrupulous, you know, about this, okay? So, if you can't go to confession, uh, if there's mortal sin in your soul, well, make this perfect act of contrition with a firm resolution to go to confession as soon as possible, and then then you know, you and God know that your sins are forgiven, okay? And peace, lots of peace here, all right? So, what else can we do? Um, what else can we do? Well, one of the things San Jose Maria did also was um, he got rid of temptations, okay, right away. And because he knew that the devil, in our weak moments, he tempts us even more. And so one of his spiritual children, uh, by the name of Joseph Barreto, he gave him a key, gave San Jose Maria a key of a safe house where he could be for the rest of the war. And Saint was delighted to have this key to this safe house where he could be. But he was saying, well, whose house is this? I mean, this sounds like a great thing where I could hide. But what if somebody comes to the door? What if the phone rings? What should I do? And, he, and Joseph said to him, don't worry, Father. There is a young woman inside the house who will take care of everything. And samson said, well, how old is this woman? Uh, well, she's probably in her 20s or something. And St. Josemaria said, look, are you kidding me? I am going to be stuck 24-7 with a woman. You know, my nerves are broken down and, you know, the war is going on. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. He said, you see this key? And he threw it in the sewer. He says, I'd rather be a martyr than break my commitment with God. Well, this, you see, this is St. Josemaria's way of being faithful to God at all costs, in, in spite of the fact that the situation was an emergency. Okay, doesn't matter. He knew one thing, that it is better to die than to sin. And he learned that from his mother early on in his life. Better to die than to sin. And so in this, these moments of confinement, what we have to do is get rid of the temptation as soon as possible. Because there's going to be lots of moments of boredom, and lots of you know boredom. They say is like the the stewing pot of the devil. You know, it's like that's where he cooks his uh, his temptations. That's where he tempts us with when we're bored. We get curious, you know. And then there's internet, and then there's all sorts of things. You know, we gotta we gotta get rid of that. We gotta fix that problem, especially if we're indoors all day long. All right. We have to make this time a time of growth, not a time of spiritual um, sluggishness or or lukewarmness. All right, and for that, here are some other suggestions that we can implement: is um, we can implement, for instance, a plan of study. Very important that we read a book. In fact, I hope the Saint Jose Maria. Institute through the St. Augustine Institute, we'll be doing a read-a-book challenge, or even a Bible study. Uh, so you can join that, you know, or develop hobbies, you know, constructive hobbies, and hopefully with others, you know, in in the home, playing a game with your children or with other or siblings or 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 the elderly in your home, so that you know they you can make time pass. This is a time for family life, a time of um, being together and yielding, forgiving one another, you know, having a sense of humor, serving one another as much as possible. We can also watch all sorts of movies, programs, and things. But you know, all this stuff, entertainment stuff, we should do in temperance, you know, with order and with with a plan, so that people uh, actually understand. How is this helping me grow in fraternity in charity? you know maybe let somebody else pick the movie somebody let somebody else pick the music, let somebody else you know um, have the choice of the best uh that we the meal has to offer so that we take the worst piece, especially when food is running out you know um all these things now I would like to cover one last um thought here, which is that a lot of people have asked me, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of the coronavirus in in its broader theological aspect, in the sense that, is God punishing us? You know, a lot of people think that way. This is the end of the world, or this is uh, what's happening here, you know? And uh, somebody sent me this um, text Uh, That has, you know, kind of gone around and I would like to, I would like to address this. Okay, so the text says the following. It says, um, Australian wildfires, the rain that was held back, Africa, locust plague, world pandemic, COVID-19, all right? And then they quote the book of Chronicles. Whenever I hold back the rain, or send locusts to eat up the crops, or send an epidemic on my people, if they pray to me and repent and turn away from the evil they have been doing, then I will hear them in heaven, forgive their sins, and make their land prosperous again. Okay, now this is all true, right? Does God allow these things? Yes, he does. But God, does He send them as punishments? Uh, I don't know. It's not been revealed that this pandemic is a punishment from God, right? And it's hard to put words in God's mouth. We shouldn't put words in God's mouth. and And we know that God has created nature and He works through secondary causes. And those secondary causes, you know, like you know these these uh, viruses, they find they, they spread according to their nature. And God respects their nature, so he's not going to stop it. Uh, but it doesn't mean, we don't know what the meaning of this is, basically. And we should probably try to curb our curiosity as to what is God's you know, absolute will, because it hasn't been revealed to us. Right? Maybe these things in the Bible have been revealed, they, have, they certainly have been, but whether this time or not, I don't know. And this reminds me of a passage of the Gospel, I don't know if you remember, Luke chapter 13, where... Some misfortune actually happened to several people, and I'll read the passage right now. Now, there came, at that time, some who brought him word about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they have suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish in the same manner. Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloe fell and killed them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the other dwellers in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish in the same manner. What is the meaning of this? Well, the point seems to be, as Pope Benedict says in commenting this passage, that we need a conversion. Regardless of what's going on, we need a conversion. And he says in an Angelus address that he gave on March eleventh, two thousand seven, he does not propose it. He does not propose this conversion in legalistic terms, but rather in realistic ones, as the one only adequate response to the events that place human certainties in crisis. Right in the face of certain disgraces. Jesus warns, it does no good to blame the victims. Rather, true wisdom allows one to question the precariousness of existence and to acquire an attitude of responsibility: colon, to do penance and to improve our lives. This is what we can do. This is how we can in- interpret the pandemic: is let's take advantage of this. It's Lent after all. To do penance for our sins. This is this is good. If we if we do that. Then we will draw some good out of this, you know, natural evil that's occurring throughout the world, and we will be able to give hope to the world because we will have boomeranged it into something positive, you know. So, um, conversion is what's needed, and 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 I would say that. This change that has to occur comes from within. It is a wake-up call, actually, because, let's face it, this world of ours has suffered from a lot of problems lately, and many of those problems are first-world problems, so-called, you know, where, you know, it's a tragedy because it's a tragedy that I did not get my Starbucks latte, you know. Or or something else happened to me that like that. We haven't been really worried about many things. And with my phone, I think I am invincible. I do all sorts of things. I'm omnipotent almost. And we have forgotten about God. Well, you know what? If this pandemic teaches us that we're not in control, that God is in control, then all the better. We have to pray. And we have to turn to God for mercy. And that... We can do whether or not it has been revealed that this is a punishment or not, or you know, we we shouldn't get into all that stuff. It doesn't because it doesn't matter in the end. What we do need to do is actually wake up and realize that we need to put order back into our lives. The order that God has to be first, and I have to go back to my faith, and I have to uh, become spiritual again. Because perhaps, maybe, we collectively have become too materialistic. Well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Hopefully, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Maybe there will be more, I don't know. But we this surely makes us think and puts our world, the world that we had so much faith in, faith in progress, right, into crisis. And now is the time to show that the true hope for the world comes from above, and that is Jesus Christ. And only in Jesus Christ can we actually come out of all our real problems. Actually, you know, the the real virus that's out there is called sin, you know, and it started with Adam and Eve and the devil. And that's been spreading, you know, incredibly uh, throughout the centuries and throughout the history of humanity. But where sin abound, grace abound all the more. And that's what we ought to do as Christians is also spread the gospel message in a viral way. We have to make it go viral, and now is a great opportunity opportunity to do that. So let's turn to Mary and ask her to help us put all these resolutions into practice so that a lot of good may come out of this situation.